Praise God. God is good all the time. That's what's up. God is good. God is good. Uh, didn't expect I'd be up here so quick. But uh, when Zima is your youth pastor and when we are being led by God, anything is possible. Uh, if we can open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Who knows what's in Hebrews chapter 11? Talking about faith, heroes of the faith. You know what's interesting is Ramil started out this. Uh, Ramil started out this night speaking about Abraham and speaking about these heroes, and then Zima came up and he was talking about these heroes, and I'm going to talk about these heroes. And uh, love it. I love it when God just uh, confirms what we're doing, when he when he shows to us that we're on the right path, and when he shows to us that uh, we are truly being led by him and we are his disciples. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, before we get started in the Word of God, uh, what I wanted to talk about today, uh, I didn't know what to name this thing, and then uh, right before right before service started, I just, uh, I don't know, this kind of popped into my head. Uh, what I'm going to be talking about today is a zeal for expectation. Zeal for expectation. It's kind of a weird name. It really requires you to think about it a little bit, but... Uh, I believe God's going to open up to us what that means today. Zeal for expectation. Now, what is expectation? What is expectation? Expectation is when we anticipate that something's about to happen, right? Expectation is when we know something is about to happen. It's when we know that some event is about to take place. It's when we know that some event is about to take place. And expectation, I would say, it's something that is directly connected to faith. Expectation is something that's, that is directly connected to faith. A lot of time when we think about faith, what we think about is just uh, believing in God when it's hard. That's just our general idea of what faith is. It's just when it's tough, when the storms hit, you know, we got to believe in God. That's the way we look at faith. But faith is so much deeper than that. Faith is so much deeper than that. In Hebrews chapter 11, we can start from verse 1. God, we just invite you to this place right now, God. We pray that you uh, bless every single one of us, God. We pray that you fill our hearts with your, with your revelation, God. We pray that your word comes alive tonight in our hearts, God. We pray that you speak to us, God, through this word, God, that's going to be spoken, God. We pray, God, that you just reach out to every single person that's in here right now, God. Let every single person in here, God, just be shaken up by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. That's just a general, just a general meaning of what the word faith means. It's believing in things that you cannot physically see with your eyes. Things that you can't physically see with your eye. And uh, if we can skip down to verse 6. To verse 6, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Such so as interesting. So faith is something, when, when we believe in something that we don't necessarily see with our eyes, and without this quality of faith, we can't please God. So that means that we can uh, have all the revivals that we want, we can have all the conferences that we want, but if we don't have faith, we're still not pleasing God. Faith is something that we need in our lives to please God. And in verse 13, this is uh, after it's spoken about these heroes, Abraham, Enoch, uh, Abel, Sarah, and Noah. In verse 13, it says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. 
They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. So now pretty much what's going on is these people are uh, being glorified for what they did. And it says here that they saw it all from a distance. In verse 1, it says faith is when we believe things that we cannot see. And then here it says they were blessed because they saw something. So, you know, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So that means it's talking about two different kinds of seeing. In verse 1, it's talking about seeing things physically with your eyes. Seeing things physically when, with your eyes. In verse 13, it's talking about more of a spiritual sense. Seeing things from the, from the eyes of God. You know, we as people, a lot of times, we, we look at situations, we look at them two-dimensionally. Because that's all we can do. We could just look forwards, we could look to the right, to the left, and behind us, and we just see everything on one level. But when we think about the way God looks at things, God is three-dimensional. God sees things from above. God knows every single thing that's going to happen in our life, and he puts us through situations in our life so that we can make it to that end result. But we can't see that unless we start looking through the eyes of God, unless we start seeing our lives the way God looks at them. Because this is the way naturally we can see. Just forwards, you know, we're going, if, the, if a wall pops up behind us, you know, we don't know what to do because there's a wall. Our road is blocked. But when you start looking at, at things through God, it's, you know, it's like we're walking in a, in a maze. It's like we're walking in a maze. You know, when you just keep going straight at it, you know, you keep going forward, you're going to the, towards this wall, and then you start seeing the left side when you get to it. But God sees everything from above. He sees the end result. He sees what's going to happen when you get through that maze. He's going to see that growth that you're going to have when you get through this maze in your life. There's two different kinds of seeings, and, and what I'm going to be talking about is kind of the spiritual sense. I'm not talking about physically seeing. So what, what, what I believe faith truly is, it's not just believing in something. You know, it's also expectation. Faith is seeing and believing. It's seeing something. It's seeing a result and also believing in that, res that that result is possible for our lives. It's both of those things. You know, you can't, well, if we could go to Numbers, if we could go to Numbers, we, we'll see how important it is for, for us to have uh, both of these, uh, Numbers chapter 13, both of these qualities in our life, not just believing but also seeing. Numbers chapter 13. Who, who's reading the Bible plan? Let me see hands in the air. I ask this question every single time. Who's reading the Bible plan? Praise God. Who loved reading the book of Numbers? Who got revelation from the book of Numbers? Amen. Numbers is one of those things. You either love it or you hate it. There's no middle ground. Either you're like, man, I can't wait to get out of this place. Or you're like, man, Numbers. I wish there were like 45 more chapters in this book. Numbers chapter 13. If we could go from verse 25. This is a story we've heard uh, millions, uh, not millions, we've heard many times. We've read about it. It's when uh, there was one leader from each tribe sent out to scout the land that God promised to the nation of Israel. Verse 25, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We, en we entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. Now, if they just stopped right there, oh, man, we, we, we wouldn't have a lot of the trouble that we're about to see in the future. But they, but they kept going. There's always a but. There's always a but. You know, the land is good. Everything's great. But. And in verse 28, we see that. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. There's always that but. When we don't have faith, there's always that little thing in our life that, that keeps us from our full potential. When we don't see things the way God does and, we don't, and when we don't believe that he can get us through any situation, there's always that little but in our life that won't let us get to that promised land that God promised. 
for us. And, you know, God is faithful. When he promises something to us, you know, as long as we're faithful to him, we'll get it. We'll get it. And in the same uh, chapter, if we can go to verse 30. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Verse 32, so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Chapter 14, then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, and even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to just return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. And they plotted, let's just go back to Egypt. Let's choose a new leader. And skip down to verse 6. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid. So reading this, uh, just quickly going through this story, we see three categories of people. We see three categories of people. First category, we see the nation of Israel. Not counting those 12 that went to scout, we see the nation of Israel. And at this point, they weren't really in rebellion before the scouts told them. So at this point, what they did was they believed that God can get them to the land. They believed that, that what God was promised was true. But you know what? They didn't see the land. Even though they believed, they didn't see the land. We see the second group of people, which is the 10 scouts that came back with a bad report. And what, what was up with them is they saw the land, but they didn't believe that God could get them through. They saw the land. They saw the promise that God made, but they didn't believe in their hearts that they could get it. And then we see Joshua, whom, whom later on it says had the Spirit of God on him. And we see Caleb, who was the first one to shut everybody's mouth and say, you know what, we could get this land. We got Joshua and Caleb, and those are two people that believed. And when they saw the land, their belief wasn't, you know, it wasn't shaken. When they, when they saw the situation rise up, what they believed didn't change. So they believed and they saw. They believed and they saw. The nation of Israel, even though they had faith and they, and they, and they, and they had faith in Moses, you know, at this point, because they're very back and forth about things, but at this point, they had faith in Moses. They believed that they could get to that land because they weren't firm in anything. Because they weren't firm. When that bad report came, their faith just fell apart. Their faith just fell apart. It couldn't hold up. And, you know, we see this happening, you know, to the nation of Israel over and over and over again. So believing and seeing, those are two key things that we need to have in this life if we want to, you know, achieve God's will like we've been talking about lately. We need to believe that God could get us through every situation. And we need to see that end result where God is getting us. Like we talked about last time, it's to save people who are lost. We need to believe that we could get to that result. If we could go over to Mark, this is where we're going to be for the, the rest of tonight. Mark chapter 6. We're going to be in these uh, next couple of chapters. Not even a couple, we're going to be in Mark 6 through 8 in these three chapters. So Mark chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 37. You know, it's interesting. When you look at the people of Israel and you see their rebellion, uh, 
you see, you see yourself in a lot of the things that they do. You really do. You start seeing uh, these little moments of rebellion that you have in you. You see these little moments of uh, these little moments where you don't have as much faith as you should in God. In Mark chapter six, verse thirty-seven, this is when uh, the five thousand were hungry and they had and they realized they don't they don't have any food. Verse thirty-seven. But Jesus said, "You feed them." With what they asked, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Verse 38, how much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Just an, an inter interesting little two verses. Interesting little two verses. And uh, as we learn, I hope by now, from Jesus, is when he says something, he never talks about the physical world. He never mentions anything about the physical world. Because when Satan tried to tempt him in the wilderness, and he said, you know, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, turn these rocks into bread. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, man cannot live off bread alone. So why would Jesus be telling the disciples, how much bread do you have? Why would Jesus be telling them, how much bread do you have? When he, when he always spoke, he always spoke in, 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 in the spiritual realm. And everybody around him understood it from a physical point of view. Jesus said, how much bread do you guys have? And, and what's interesting is verse 37, Jesus, Jesus told the disciples, you feed them. He said, you feed them. And you know what's even more interesting? In the same chapter, in verses 6 and 7, this is when Jesus sent out the disciples to go and pretty much preach the gospel. This is when he sent out his disciples to go and free people from the demons that live inside him. He gave them authority and he gave them power to do all these things. And right here, these hungry people come to him and he's saying to the disciples, you feed them. He's calling them to do something more than just give them physical food. He's saying, you guys feed them. And because they didn't understand, they said, you know, Jesus, we, you know, we, we'd have to work for months to, have, to make enough money to feed all these people. And in verse 38, Jesus, I can't imagine Jesus, he's, kind of, he's probably like, you guys just don't get it. And so he had to break it down for them. He said, how much bread do you have? You know, what, what is the Bible in our lives? Is the bread of life. It's food for us. Jesus said, how much bread do you have? He didn't just say, what kind of food and how much of it do you have? He said, what kind of bread do you have? He said, what kind of bread do you have? Go and find out. He broke it down. You know, now we look at this and it's like he couldn't have been any more clear. But they, still being stuck in the physical realm, they reported back and they said, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Physical world. When Jesus was on a completely different radio wave. Jesus was, uh, you know, he wanted them to, to give those people spiritual food. He wanted to give them what they truly needed, not just physical food that will fill them up for, for, you know, a couple hours and then they'll be hungry again. Jesus wanted them to give them something deeper than that. Just, just an interesting thing. And then in, in verse 52 it even says, For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. They didn't understand the point of it. Even though they brought what they had, they brought the bread and the fish, they still didn't get it. In verse 45, uh, still, we're still in chapter 6, in verse 45, immediately after this, this is when Jesus, after Jesus fed the people, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of a lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water, and he intended to go past them. Now, I was sharing this with Zima, man. You look at Jesus, and it's like 
man, it's like he really disliked his disciples. It's like, he really, it's like he almost hated them. It's like he kept telling them, go away. You guys don't get it. You have little faith. Get away from me, Satan. And now he sends them in a boat into the middle of a lake while he doesn't go with them, knowing that there's going to be a storm. And then when he sees that they're in trouble and they're crying out for help, when he sees that they're in trouble, at 3 o'clock in the morning, he starts walking on water towards them. And it says he intended to go past them. He didn't even go on water to go towards them. And you're looking at this and you're thinking, Jesus, what did they do that you really don't like them this much? Jesus, what did they do? You know what they did? They chose to be disciples. They made that decision. And when we choose to, make, to be disciples, Jesus puts us in these kinds of situations so that our faith can grow. When he was telling them about the bread and when he put them on this boat, these are situations where they realize that they're not in control. Where they realize that the storm is coming. We don't have enough bread. We can't feed all these people. We're about to die here. There's some ghost walking at us at 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he, he, he ain't even looking at us. Their faith grew right there and then. Their faith grew because, you know, when, when Jesus calmed the storm, they're like, man, what is this? Even the weather listens to this crazy man. Their faith started growing. They started to realize more and more who Jesus was and what he's capable of. In chapter 7 of Mark... In verse 25, right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged Jesus to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile, born in Syria and Phoenicia, Jesus told her, First, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, Jesus said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. Now this woman came up to Jesus. Even though by technicalities, it wasn't her time to receive a miracle yet. Jesus came for the Jews. But she came up to Jesus because she had a problem, and she knew that Jesus is powerful enough to fix this problem. Because she believed that Jesus is strong enough to take care of her in this situation and to take care of her daughter. So she walked up to Jesus, and she, said, and she pretty much says, Jesus, I need a miracle in my life. And Jesus did not reply to her right away. Jesus pushed her away just like he kept pushing the disciples away. Jesus pushed her away. And what did she do at that time? She got more hungry. She got more desperate. She called herself a dog. That's how desperate she was. And she said, Jesus, I know you're powerful enough to save. I know you're powerful enough to change this situation. And when we're put in these tough situations, it's important for us to, to, to become so desperate that we just keep going even if we, if we don't get an answer right away. When there's a storm in our life and Jesus is sleeping in the boit. Remember sleeping in the boit? And when Jesus is sleeping in the boit, we have faith that he knows what he's doing. Even if he's sleeping and there's a storm, we, you know, he knows what he's doing. We need to get to that point where we could just trust him no matter what situation rises up in our life. You know, if you think you've got problems in your life, if you think you're overwhelmed, if you think, you know, your life's hard, start reading the book of Job. Just start reading the first, like, six chapters of Job, and you'll understand you don't even know what a tough time is. You understand, you won't, you, you, you'll understand that you don't even know what a difficult situation is. Because when somebody doesn't look at you the right way, and it makes you feel uncomfortable, and it makes you feel bad, that's nothing compared to what this dude went through. And he stayed faithful to God. And he stayed faithful. He didn't curse God. He didn't curse God. Still in chapter 7, verse 32. 
A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Now, I was uh, with Andre's group on Tuesday, and we read this verse. <laughs> when you read this wor- verse with kids, uh, it's, it, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just amazing. It's just amazing because as soon as they read the part where it says Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears and then spit on his own finger, the first thing that comes to their mind is, wet willy. First thing that comes into their mind. And, uh, but you know, something, you know, you might read these two verses and it's kind of weird. You might not understand what's going on. But even in something like this, you know, there's, there's depth in the word of God. What Jesus did was he brought this man away from the crowd. He brought this man away from everybody. He took him alone. And he did something weird, something that I can't even explain right now, to be completely honest, because I don't know why he did this. But he took his fingers, put it in the man's ears, and then spit on his own fingers and touched the man's tongue. And you know what, what, what he did by doing this? He showed the man that he is powerful enough to do anything with anything. He could shove his fingers in a man's ear and the dude can start hearing. Who here can do that? Who can spit on their own hand and touch a, a, a mute person's tongue and, you know, make them speak? Who can do that in this place? Nobody. Jesus showed that anything is possible from him in any situation, in any circumstance, with any resources. He showed that he's powerful enough to get us through every situation, no matter what we go through. And we need to understand that anything is possible for him, that he can do anything, that there's no person that's impossible for him. If we've been praying for our friend, if we've been praying for a family member, we have to understand that, man, it's possible. Remember how I was talking about we have to believe and see? We have to start believing that that person can be saved, and we have to start seeing them saved. Look to your left and your right. Look at all the empty chairs in this place. You have to start seeing people sitting in those chairs. You know, when Zima said push back uh, two more rows at the beginning, I didn't understand that. I'm like, man, we're not even filling up the first seven rows. Why do we need to make another two rows? You know what that is? That's an act of faith. That's an act of faith. Because we're not going to limit God to just the first seven rows. We're not just going to limit God to to our own limitations and what we think is going to happen. We're going to push it as far as we can because God said that he's going to do amazing things in the end times. Because we believe that God is powerful enough to save. And it's an act of faith. And we see this place full of young people. When Zima's talking about that vision where he believes that there will be 333 young people in this youth. And I believe there will be one youth service where there will be exactly 333 people. There will be at least one youth service with exactly that amount of people. And then the next youth service, we're going to have like 6,000. You know, we, we, we need to start seeing these things. You know, believing isn't just, oh, maybe, I hope it can happen. You know, I hope one day, maybe in 10 years when we're all, you know, really good ministers, maybe we'll get some. No. I'm telling you, every single Friday when I come here, I just start praying, God, you know, what are we going to do if we don't have enough room in this church? Every single, because I'm, I'm expecting something to happen. I'm expecting something to go on in this place. I'm expecting God to start moving in a, supernatural, in a supernatural move. I'm expecting God to start doing something. When situations don't go our way, we don't just need to be faithful when it's tough. We need to start seeing the result. We need to start seeing that God can get us through the situation. We need to start seeing that end result where we'll be free from that sin that we're battling in. 
And in that end result, we're going to be helping other people going through that same problem. We're going to prophesy into their lives. We're going to help them out. We need to start seeing these results. Not just believing that maybe somehow magically they can happen. We need to start seeing that it can happen. We need to start seeing that that's a reality. Even when everything doesn't go our way. In chapter 8, verse 4, this time there were 4,000 hungry people. And you think by this time the disciples would get it, right? Verse 4, his disciples replied, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in this wilderness? And you're thinking, man, two chapters ago, guys. Okay, if it was like a book ago, you know, I could kind of, two chapters ago, Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread. Now you guys got 12 loaves of bread and even less people. And they still don't believe. They're like, man, where are we going to find all this food? Where are we going to find all this bread? And I could just imagine what's, sorry, not 12 loaves of bread, seven loaves. I don't know where 12 came from. They, they ended up with 12 baskets afterwards. And I imagine just Jesus looking at them at this point, And he's like, I love you guys so much. <laughs> but you guys just don't believe. You guys just don't get it. And now. Uh, Reading about the disciples in, in uh, chapter 8, still verse 17, Jesus talked about, or in verse 16. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought enough bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand, or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? Jesus talked about, you know, uh, don't be corrupted by the yeast of the Pharisees. You know, Jen, Den, Dennis reminded me about this. He's like, this, mo this is the funniest moment in all of Scripture. Jesus is talking about the yeast in the Pharisees. Pretty much he's saying, don't be deceived by people who aren't right with God. And they're sitting here and they're talking, guys, we didn't bring enough bread again. It's ridiculous. Jesus just fed 5,000 people. Then he fed 4,000 people. And now there's like 13 of them on the boat. And they're like, Jesus, we, and they start arguing with each other because we didn't bring enough bread. Can you imagine like Matthew like smacks Peter upside? What? I told you to bring the bread. Why didn't you bring the bread? Peter's like, I didn't know we needed bread. Jesus did, did, did this. Can you imagine these situations? Does the word come to life in you when you read these things? Or are you just kind of uh, reading it like, a, like you're reading a book? You know, because the word comes alive to me. I don't, I don't know about you guys. It starts coming alive. You start seeing these situations and you start realizing that, hey, I just read this somewhere when I was reading the Old Testament today. They didn't have any faith. They saw all these miracles, but they still didn't have any faith. Isn't that the same thing that Israel did in the Old Testament? They saw that cloud of God leading them. They saw all these miracles. They saw Korah, Dathan, and Abraham get eaten by the earth when they rebelled. They saw all these people just get murdered in front of their eyes. And they're still like, God, why don't we have any meat? Keep giving us this manna every single day. When I go to heaven, I'm going to ask God, God, what was truly going in your heart when, when, when all these situations happened? What did you really want to do with them? Give me details. I want to know really how, how, much, how, how mad it made you. The disciples are doing the same things. And you, and you know what I'll tell you guys? We do the same things a lot of times in our lives. We do the same exact thing. Some situation rises up in our life and we start doubting God. When we've seen all these miracles happen, when we've seen all these people around us get saved, and we start doubting in God, we start doubting that He can get us through that situation. We start doubting that, you know, He can take us to that promised land. We start doubting that we can truly do God's will for our lives. 
when Jesus gave us everything that we need to be able to accomplish that. All it takes is hard work from our, our part. All it takes is just not doing what we want and doing what he wants. That's it. Simple as that. Just die to yourself. You know, more of him, less of me. You know, Jesus goes up, I go down. Simple as that. But the disciples didn't get that yet. The disciples didn't get that yet. And uh, what's interesting is the disciples went through all these situations. They went through all, the, all these tough times. And they, and they started believing in who Jesus really was. You know, even like Ramil was saying, even right before Jesus went up on the cross, they all ran away from him. And then Peter denied him three times before the rooster crowed. Judas hung himself. I'm sure just talking about Peter denying it, I wouldn't even be surprised if the rest of the 11 at some point, you know, denied that they knew something about Jesus. And they all left Jesus. So even at that point, they didn't get it. But, and then uh, Zima shared a really good point. You know what's interesting? The, uh, Jesus told them to go and make disciples of all nations, right? The, after he, he died, after he resurrected, and then when he came back, and he told them, go and tell, pretty much. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And then we read Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came upon them. You know, at that point, they got it. At that point, something activated in their life. Something clicked in their lives. And the only reason it clicked is because they went through these situations. Is because they learned that they're truly not in control over their bodies. That they're truly not in control over, over, over the things that they need to do. They realized that, man, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm not even my own. You know, a lot of times we look at Christianity and we're like, Christianity is just a, it's just a religion where it's like, oh, we can't do this. We're not allowed to do this. We're not allowed to go here or listen to this music. We're not allowed to, to, to watch the Super Bowl for some reason. We're not allowed to do this. We're not allowed to do that. And that's all Christianity is for us. It's just we're not allowed to do this. You know what I'll tell you? If that's, how, if that, if that's what Christianity is for you, you're missing it. Because for me, it ain't even about that. That's the easy part of Christianity. The hard part is, what am I supposed to do? The hard part is, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to say to people? What am I supposed to do in this world? What was I created for? What is God's plan for my life? What is God's will? When he said, go and tell, who am I supposed to tell? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to say? That's what real Christianity is. It's when every day is a mission field for us. Every time we go to work, it's a mission field. A lot of times we think of missions is, uh, of when we go to Africa and when we go to Asia. And, when we, and we're like, oh man, I wish I went on a mission trip. You know what, let me tell you, God's calling you to be on a mission trip every single day of your lives. God's calling you, to be, calling you to be a missionary in every single area of your life. Whether that's in school, whether that's in your household, or whether that's at work or anywhere else where you might be. Because this whole world is full of darkness. And we carry that light that this world needs. We carry that light. And another thing, you guys don't have to open up there. In, in Numbers chapter uh, 25, we just read this recently, I believe, even a couple days ago. I'm not even going to try to remember. But in chapter 25, there's a story about uh, this one guy, and his name was uh, Phinehas. He has a funny name, Phinehas, son of Eli, Eliezer, who was the grandson of Aaron. Oh, man, whatever. Phinehas. Phinehas. And you read about this guy, and we don't know anything about this guy. Up until this point, we just know that he's the son of Eliezer, who's the grandson of Aaron. And there's this Phinehas guy. Pretty much what God is saying, God is saying, the people of Israel have taken the wrong wives, 
And he's telling them, and this Phinehas is just standing there, and he's like, man, I can't believe those people are doing that. We got to get this sin. We got to destroy this. And then he sees a man with a woman walking into their tent, and he sees that while God is speaking to them, he sees this happening, and he's like, man, I can't allow this to happen. God's speaking to us right now, and somebody's perverting the atmosphere. Just on a side note, that's what happens when you get up during pastor sermon. That's the same exact thing that happens. You guys can write that down. That's good right there. That's the same thing that happens when God is speaking to everybody and you just get up, you got to go use the bathroom or you got to go talk on the phone or you got to do this or you got to do that. You're doing the same thing. You're just perverting God's environment. You're just choosing to not be a part of it. Anyways, this Phinehas, he sees this happening and he's like, I can't, I can't let this happen. He grabs a spear and he thrusts it through the man's back and gets into the woman's stomach. Now the man and the woman had to be pretty close for one spear to get both of them. And he, and because of this one deed, that this dude did he was blessed for his whole life and his descendants were all blessed why and you know what's interesting God says Phinehas son of Eleazar and grandson of Aaron the priest has turned my anger away from the Israelites by being as zealous among them as I was so I stopped destroying all Israel as I intended to do in my zealous anger now tell him that I am making my special covenant of peace with him in this covenant I give him and his descendants a permanent right to the priesthood for in his zeal for me, his God, he purified the people of Israel, making them right with me. Because of the zeal that was in him, because of the zeal, because of the hunger, because of the thirst, you know, you guys could put, you know, you guys could put your own words in there. Because of his zeal for God and because of that one little action that he did, he entered into the will of God. You know, him and his whole descendants got to be priests. That's what God was calling them to do and that's what they ended up doing. Because he had that zeal. Because he had that zeal for God. When you have zeal for God, you're not carefree about things. When you have zeal for God, you don't just read the Bible to put a check mark and to text your leader that you've read that day. When you have zeal for God, you're not satisfied just reading the Word of God. You want to receive something from it. And if you don't receive, you'll read those same chapters again until you receive something. When you have zeal for God, you can't just sit quietly while people around you are perverting God's environment. You start getting in there and you start throwing those spears in their life and you start preaching the gospel and the truth into their lives because you understand that they're just destroying themselves. When you have zeal for God, you can't quietly just sit there while your co-worker is on his way to hell. Or those fellow students sitting with you in that classroom are just living a perverted lifestyle. This world is so, so shaky, it's not even funny. It's like uh, six months ago, what was cool was Gangnam Style or whatever. Now it's this Harlem shake. You know, back then it was Justin Bieber. You know, it was Michael Jackson. It was Britney Spears. It was this dude. And they just keep writing all these idols in their lives. They just keep writing all this because they're, they, they're looking for an answer and they can't find it anywhere. So they keep looking. And we sit in here having the answer and we're not doing anything about it. We know what they're looking for. We know... You know, we all went through that situation. We all had that hunger inside of us. We were all searching for something until we found God. Why don't we give this to others? Jesus is saying to us, you feed them. He's saying they're hungry. There's 5,000 of them, but you feed them. You have the bread. You have the food. You feed them. Do something in their life. Care enough about them. Love them enough to say, to say the truth to them. Have compassion do something about it. You know, when, when, 
when uh, Adam sinned, and you know, and, and, and in the times of Noah, when the whole world was in perversion, you know, it got to the point where God is like, man, I regret making these people. It got to the point where God is like, man, I shouldn't have never done this in the first place. Is that what he's saying about you sitting here today? He gave you the truth. He created you into being a new person. Is he saying, man, I regret doing anything with you? Because you're just wasting it. Is that what he's saying to you? Or is he saying, trust in me, you know, and we'll make it through this storm? Or is he saying, trust in me, we'll make it to that land? Yes, there's giants in there, but we'll get through it. You know, which, which side of, of the anchor are you on? Because you know what's interesting? When it says, uh, when, Mo, when, when God took Moses up on the hill and he said, you know, Moses, you, you're going to die soon. And Moses is like, God, but who's going to lead these people? God said, go get Joshua, son of Nun, for he has the spirit of the Lord in him. If your name was in the Bible, is that what it would say about you? I hope that's what it would say about me, man. I want, I, you know, if there's like a 2013 edition of, you know, a book kind of like the Bible that's going to be written by some prophets of God, I wanted to say, and you know, Noah, son of Rosa and, Asher, Ash, and Alexander Asherah had the spirit of the Lord on him. I don't know, that's what I want to read. I don't want to read that Noah was eaten up by the earth because of his rebellion. I don't want to read that about myself. I don't want to see that. How does God look at me? What does he see when he looks at me? Like we said, God sees everything 3D. We see, you know, we, we can see the problems in each other. We can see, you know, the, the good things in each other. But God sees everything. God sees what's deep in our hearts. God sees our ambitions. God sees our goals. God sees our selfishness. God sees our pride. Or God sees a pure heart. Or God sees that even when we do mess up, we're not doing it on purpose. We have a pure heart and we're trying to better ourselves. You know, which side of that scale are we on? You know, are we going towards God's will or are we... You know what's interesting? Uh, we read about those three tribes. We read about those three tribes that came up to Moses and, you know, they said, you know, that land is good of all, but we're satisfied with this land. You know, we're okay with this land. You know, that land is good, it's good. We'll help you guys win, but we're satisfied with this land. You know, is that what we're saying today? God, God, that's good. Going and telling is good. That's good. But I'm just satisfied in this land over here. I'm fine. I know you promised that. I know that's what you wanted to give us. But I'm just fine in my little comfort zone, in my little bubble over here. Or are we going, man, there's giants in that land. And I don't even care because the Spirit of God is on me. And I know that He can do anything. And I'm going to take that land that's promised to me. And I'm going to actually get God's will for my life, not my own will. We don't, which side are we on? What are we striving for? What are we going for? Because we're always moving in a direction. Either we're moving forwards or we're going backwards. You know, when Abraham and Lot separated, Abraham went one way, Lot went the other. You know, and we see the results of those two decisions. Which way are we going today? Which way are we going? A lot of times we think just because uh, we're in ministry, just because we do stuff, we, we think that, you know, that we're fine and we're saved and we're good. You know, I'm, I'm doing my, my, my little thing. I'm doing this. I'm a musician. I'm a camera guy. I'm doing this. And we think that's going to save us. But you know what? If your character is not there, at one point there will be a, a point where you'll just be broken. And that ministry won't save you. Because let me tell you this. Every single person in this place is replaceable. Every single one of us is replaceable. God doesn't really need us. 
God has a lot of resources. God can do a lot of things through other people. If we make that decision to not be hungry for God, you know, God himself will come to the point where he'll be like, you know what, dude, you go one way, I'll go the other. We can't keep walking together because we keep arguing. And God will have somebody else that'll take your spot. That's a scary thought because if you think about it, if we all entered into God's will, we would do so much more than if just some of us entered. If all of us got into that promised land together, we could save so much more souls than if just a select few of us make it. You know, the Word of God says that, that uh, the, gate, the gate to heaven is narrow. Is narrow. And a lot of times we look at this room and we're like, man, it's probably so narrow that not even all of us can make it. But you know, when you compare the people with the, in, in this room compared with all the people in this world, we can all make it through. We're just a narrow a, a tiny little part of this world. And even though they'll all go off on the wrong path, we can make it on that right path. We can make it through that narrow path. And it's not going to be easy, but we can do it. Because the same spirit that raised Christ lives in us today. You know, when we're sold out, when, we're, when we just abandon our lives, you know, we just start seeing these miracles happen in our lives. We start seeing these miracles. We don't just believe in them anymore. We start seeing them. We start seeing all, the, all, these, all these little parts of the puzzle coming together more and more. Like I said last time, we see this random dude from Armenia coming and confirming what we're doing. We're seeing this magazine say this. We're, we're hearing this sermon tell us exactly what we needed. And we just start seeing the pieces of the puzzle connect together. And we realize, man, the time is running out. And those people who aren't right with God, they're just going to be swept away. They're just not going to survive. They're not going to make it. And, you know, and the people who are hungry, the people who do want to get into God's will, you know, those are the ones that will make it. Even if they're goofy, even if, you know, you got to keep kicking them in the behind and telling them, don't do this, do this, do this. You know, if they're hungry for God, they'll make it into that kingdom. If you'll, if you'll be hungry for God, if you'll be zealous for God, you'll make it into that kingdom. If you have passion for what you're doing, you'll make it into that kingdom. Because if you have passion and you have zeal, you're not carefree about things. And that's when you start having expectations. That's when you start actually caring about what you do. You start expecting that God will use you to reach out to your co-workers. You start believing that God can use you to change your school. Albina, God can use you to change your school. He can use you. The club's not going. You can't find a teacher. That's fine. Expect that a teacher will come up to you and say, hey, I heard you're looking for a classroom. Start expecting these things. It'll happen. And even if it doesn't happen, just be like those people in, in Hebrews 11 where it says even though they didn't see the result, they still stayed faithful to the end. We need to start seeing these results. We need to start seeing that God is able. God is able. God is strong. God is all-powerful. God is almighty. You know, when we walk down this path, everything in our life start, starts shifting. If everything in your life isn't shifting, you're probably not on the right path. If your relationship with your parents isn't getting any better, you're probably not on the right path. Because I know when I got right with God, my relationship with my mama meant, whew, I have the best mama in the world. Because you realize, you know what, man, this woman has been going to church for this long, and she has so much revelation herself, and I'm just coming to church because I want to receive from pastor, and I want to receive from Zima, when I have this woman of faith living in my own household, you know? Yeah. 
Whenever, you know, realistically, you know, your relationship with your dad gets better. Even if you don't agree about everything, your relationship with him gets better. When you read that kids got stoned if they disrespected their parents, you start realizing that God is really trying to say something by, by saying that. That there's really a significance in, in your relationship with your parents. That starts shifting. Your work ethic starts changing. You stop being lazy. You start getting yourself up in the morning. You start forcing yourself to read the Bible even when you don't feel like it. You start forcing yourself to pray even when you don't feel like it. You start forcing yourself to worship when worship isn't going the way that you want it to go. You just close your eyes and you just start praying. Don't even care about the song. Don't even listen to anybody. Just start praying. Because when we stop, start praying, God starts speaking to us and we start connecting with Him. It doesn't matter whether you like the songs we're playing or not. It doesn't matter whether you like how Allah is going into this third uh, transition to this third song or not. Just start praying. Start praying. Start seeking God. Don't expect from people. Expect something from God. Every time I'm at church and somebody's preaching, I don't, I don't want to hear what pastor has to say. I want to hear what God has to say through pastor. I want to hear what God has to say for my life through that man that laid himself down. Who's a tool in God's hand. I want to hear what God has to say to me. Because we can't build our faith off of somebody else. You know what's interesting? After Jesus performed all these miracles and before he got crucified, he would always say, don't tell anybody about what happened. You know what's really interesting? I always thought, why is Jesus always saying that? Why is he saying don't tell anybody? You know why? Because Jesus didn't want people to just know him through others. Jesus wanted people to get to know him themselves. He didn't just want people to hear about the miracles he's done. He wanted people to see the miracles that he's doing. So, it's, so people don't just know him through some third party, you know, program or something so that people know him personally. The leaders in your life are there to help put you on the right path. The, the pastors in your life, your parents are there to help put you on the right path. But you need to get that relationship with God yourself. You won't survive with somebody else's revelation. You won't survive just getting on fire every time you go to a conference. Or every Friday night, you know, getting that dose for another week. You're not going to survive. You're not going to enter into God's will. You're not going to do what you were created to do. Because as soon as you step out of here, as soon as you get out of that conference, you'll be back doing the same garbage that you were before. You'll be back joking around about the wrong things. You'll be back listening to the stupid music again. You'll be back doing all these perverted things in your life. But when you have that zeal and passion, and when you have that relationship with God yourself, things start shifting around you people start changing around you but before we get that it doesn't matter whether we believe in it or not nothing's going to happen in our life if we don't have that passion and zeal nothing's going to happen you can believe that God is all, man, like two-thirds of the world believes that there's a God they all believe. They believe that Buddha is a God. They believe that, you know, coexist and everything's connected and all this garbage. They believe that there's a God, but there's no move in their lives. You know, we can deceive ourselves. We can become delusional. There was this situation at work. There was a situation at work where this one dude just became delusional. You know what the word delusional means? It means that you're doing stuff and you don't even see that it's wrong. You don't even understand that it's wrong. You become delusional. You start thinking that it's fine. You know, the things that you're doing, you start thinking it's fine. And a lot of times we become delusional and we start thinking that the bad habits and the sins and the, and the music and all this garbage is fine in our lives. And we start deceiving ourselves. We start lying to ourselves. We start, you know, slowly, quietly killing that little voice of conscience inside of us and start doing the things that we want to do. 
But if you have zeal and passion, man, that'll never happen in your life. That'll never happen in your life. If you're hungry for growth, if, if you know this isn't just something that we went through at camp, if this is your daily prayer, if this is what you live for every single day, there's no way that you'll go down that wide, broad path that leads to destruction. When you actually listen to what the pastor's saying and what the leaders are saying in your life, and when you actually pick up this bread of life and you know eat every single day and receive these revelations, there's no way you'll be destroyed. But if you don't have this passion, nothing will happen. If you don't care, nothing will happen. You just got to start caring. You got to start pushing yourself to care. You start being led by the Holy Spirit, just like Joshua was. Just like Jesus was. You start just taking your cross up without even thinking about it. And in moments where it's tough, there will be that Simon Peter who helps you carry the cross. Jesus could have done it himself. He could have carried that cross by himself, but he let that happen to show us that sometimes we need help. You know, there will be those situations when we're like Moses and our arms are getting tired and Aaron and her will be there holding our arms up. When we just trust in God through those storms, when we trust Him when we don't have enough food to feed all the people in these situations in our life, when we just trust Him, He'll do something amazing. That's when we'll start seeing miracles. That's when we'll start seeing miracles. And for the, in the end, I just want to read one more place in Scripture. Uh, John chapter 14. Verse 12, you guys don't have to open up there, I can read it, just pay attention. But John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Jesus said those who believe in me will do the same things I'm doing. You know what, they'll even do greater things and what I'm doing and maybe we, we don't even understand what that means right now maybe we don't get how we can do greater things we need to start believing and we need to start seeing we need to start seeing that we can be tools in, God, in God's hands we need to start seeing that we can be freed from these sins in our life that we can be freed from this jealousy that's rotting our, everything inside of us we, can, we need to believe that we can be free from this addiction to pornography that maybe some of us are, are in we need to believe that we can be freed from all these sins that are holding us down and all these chains that are holding us down that we can be freed from this python that started looping around us that's when we'll start seeing the great works that Jesus did that's when we'll start seeing revival in this place. If we can all just stand up, stand up and just start praying. Just start praying. Just start praying for the zeal. Just start praying for this hunger. Start praying for the zeal and, and, and passion in your life.